Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, entrepreneurs have created most of the jobs in the United States. Now, many of these new companies have products or services addressing environmental needs. Obvious things like solar and wind and electric vehicles, and not just cars, but we're also talking about trucks and buses. Now, other things like software to reduce your utility bills or to help the utilities communicate the benefits of clean energy. Energy storage systems. And we're not just talking about like you know pure renewables. You've got things like Carbon sequestration, which everybody's still trying to figure out, probably billions of dollars are going into that. Even new nuclear technology is still being developed, and these all are going to have some environmental benefits. Now, public policies that encourage these companies are critical to their success. Things like the renewable portfolio standards, net metering, cap and trade, carbon taxes, CAFE, EV and energy tax credits. But the thing is, when the economics of these environmental products and services align, adoption of the new technologies just takes off. Just look at the wind and the solar industry. Environmental entrepreneurs, and it's an organization, or E2, kind of as as we refer to it, that's the organization that advocates explicitly for smart policies that are good for both the economy and the environment. Their members have founded or funded more than 2,500 companies, created more than 600,000 jobs, and managed more than $100 billion in venture and private equity capital. It's my pleasure to have E2's executive director, Bob Keefe, as our guest on this week's show. So welcome to the show, Bob. Oh, Barry, it's so good to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. All right, my pleasure. Now, you know, I've kind of been a member of E2 for, in and out for many, many years, but it'd be great to kind of let our listeners know how E2 got started. Absolutely. So we actually got started, E2 got started about 20 years ago in California, back when the state was considering what then were the first ever car emission standards, not just in the country, but in the world. And at that time, not surprisingly, the automakers and petroleum industry came to California and and were talking to lawmakers and telling them, now, wait a minute, if you guys start to limit tailpipe pollution, tailpipe emissions, it's going to really ruin the auto industry in America. It's going to put a lot of people out of work. California is going to implode and float off into the the sea. You get the argument. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's one that, that has been made before. Well... Our founders came out of Silicon Valley, basically, and they knew something about innovation. And they also knew that smart policies, Barry, can drive innovation. And so they started uh, essentially talking to some of their other entrepreneurs and investors and others and started going to Sacramento to bring a different perspective about the importance of, of, of these new standards. And the line of thinking was that, you know, again, with the right policy and the right market signals, it can actually drive innovation. And again, this was 20 years ago, so they were saying, and if we can drive innovation, then maybe those hybrid vehicle thingies that we've been talking about and are just starting to come out, maybe they'll become more common. And who knows, maybe even electric vehicles someday. And by the way, it's not a bad idea to clean up the air in the state of California and on the West Coast generally. So our founders uh, created E2 around that and around that principle. We won on that policy. And Since then, we've grown to about 5,000 members and supporters who work or do business in just about every state in America. We now, E2 now has nine chapters stretching from New England and New York to Seattle and San Diego. And the one thing that unites our members, Barry, is, is the realization that the economy and the environment aren't at odds, but in fact rely on each other. And they're willing to spend their time and their money trying to create a better world by 
bringing the business and economic perspective to smart environmental policies. Yeah, you know, sometimes we're here in California, I think it's kind of like a bubble. We see clean energy stuff all over the place. But how big is the clean energy economy? You know, it's for you and I who have been around this for a while, we know that this is a growing industry. And of course, in California, we see it every day. But one of the things that E2 has done over the past four or five or six years now is really try to track clean energy job growth around the country. And working with a couple of great partners, actually many partners, but our main partners are the National Association of State Energy Officers, NASIO, and also an organization called EFI Energy Futures Initiative, which is run by former DOE Secretary Ernie Moniz. We have partnered up to do a major report and a major study on all energy jobs in America. That's called the U.S. Energy Employment Report. And from that data, E2 has extracted essentially the and been able to filter down to track clean energy jobs specifically, jobs in renewables, in energy efficiency, in clean vehicles, in grid and storage, and clean fuels, and so forth. And what we found, Barry, and what we know right now is that there are now 3.3 million people that work in clean energy in every state in the country. Now, that's a huge and still growing part of our economy. I'll give you an example or put some perspective on that. 3.3 million jobs, that's more people than work in investment banking in this country. It's more people than work in real estate in this country, Barry. And it's about as many people as work as public school teachers all across America. And, by the way, it's about three times as many people that work in fossil fuels. It's not surprising. I mean, I, I think uh, the solar industry itself employs uh, yeah, somewhere between two and 300,000 people, and it's, it's kind of growing a little bit ups and downs. But I think there's more people working in the solar industry in California than there are in the utility industry. I mean, it's just, it's a big part of the economy. We're really helping. The dilemma is a lot of the impressions of, of policymakers or the people that are funding them are that business profits and environmental benefits are mutually exclusive. In other words, if we deploy electric vehicles, if we put solar on somebody's roof, if we put in backup power for resiliency, that's not as good as using oil or gas. How do we change that impression? Well, I think we're changing it every day by telling the story of the economic benefits of, of clean energy, and people are starting to realize it. And, yes, you and I are in California, and we see it every day. But we're not just talking about California here. Let's take a look at, for instance, my home state, North Carolina. Now, North Carolina isn't exactly considered a a bastion of clean energy policy, if you will, over the past. But North Carolina is the only state in the southeast that has a renewable portfolio standard. As a result, North Carolina now is the number two state for solar installations in the country. That's amazing. About 111,000 people work in clean energy jobs, solar, but also energy efficiency and clean vehicles, other industries in that state. And it's the number nine state in the country for, for clean energy jobs. Look at a place like Massachusetts. A lot of people wouldn't think of Massachusetts and put them at the top, put that state at the top of the list when they're just thinking about solar. But Massachusetts also has some of the best policies in the country for energy efficiency. As a result, it's like the number seven state in the country for clean energy jobs. And a lot of that is in energy efficiency, thanks to those smart policies. It's people that are uh, installing high-efficiency HVAC systems in our offices, our schools, and our homes. It's people who are 
creating uh, better building materials. It's people who are swapping out inefficient lighting for LED lighting systems. Yeah, and not a surprise to me because I started my energy efficiency and solar career in Cambridge, like in the seventies. And I I kind of said, gee, it's it looks like this industry, the solar industry back then, solar thermal, but also energy efficiency. It was kind of bi-coastal. It was in Massachusetts and it was in California. I eventually moved out to California just for some other reasons, but yeah, it's not that surprising if you're kind of involved with policy. But I guess part of the dilemma is that we have all these incentives that incentivize bad environmental behavior. The oil and gas industry, enormous profits. There's this thing called the oil and gas depletion allowance so that they can kind of get profits from uh, oil and gas wells forever. It's a huge tax credit. I just read yesterday that a coal company, a big coal company, went bankrupt and the miners are on strike. They're holding a train full of coal cars hostage. But somebody's going to have to clean up the messes from these bankrupt coal companies. There's no way to kind of wind them down. Moreover, we've got politicians are saying we need more coal we need to how do we take away the incentives that they have to kind of rape and pillage the appalachians i think we need to uh, as a society collectively continue to advocate with our lawmakers that this is not what americans want as clean energy continues to become more common as people can grasp it and feel it and see it and and know more about it it's a no-brainer And by the way, that's just not among consumers and individuals. It's amongst utilities, as you know, Barry. There aren't any utilities that are building coal plants anymore. There's a lot that are weaning themselves off of natural gas. Why is that? It's Largely, it's because of market economics. It's cheaper to get energy from wind and solar right now than it is from natural gas and coal in in most markets around the country. Yeah, that's just bingo. That's why you guys are called E2. It's the economics that are really making the difference. You're exactly right. All right. So, Bob, we talked about some of the the background of E2, but what are some of E2's major victories? What what do you guys have accomplished over the last years? Well, thanks for that. Let's go back for a minute to the California Clean Car Standards that we got our start on 20 years ago. Well, those clean car standards are now the federal CAFE standards for the United States that, unfortunately, Donald Trump is trying to roll back, but we're fighting that as well. So a lot of times we all know that California and other states set the bar, if you will, for the rest of the country, and that was a case where we got started here in California on clean car standards and and eventually got them adopted on a federal level. But generally, we work on both the federal and the state level, and and the policies we work on are at the intersection of the economy and the environment. So on a national level, we've worked on everything, Barry, from preserving appropriations for the U.S. military to do all of the great things it's doing with clean energy. You know, the military has been a driver of our economy in so many ways, whether it's in communications or medicine or other scientific arenas. It's also a a leader in clean energy, whether it's biofuel and planes and ships today or if it's deploying solar on forward operating bases or on houses at military installations around around the country and around the world. So not too long ago, Congress wanted to essentially kill all of the Defense Department spending uh, renewable energy and clean energy, and we said no. We organized other businesses. We organized former military officers, and we said, look, this is good for the military, but it's also good for our economy, and, and the military's leadership on this will filter down throughout our economy, just as it did with communications and other areas. So that's one area. Recently, more recently, in this past congressional session, E2 was responsible for 
getting really one of the only pieces of climate legislation on a federal level passed. And that was a new pilot program in the federal farm bill that helps incentivize farmers to roll out low-carbon agriculture practices. You know, we, we all know that cars and utilities, electricity creates a lot of carbon, but so do bad farming practices and farms in general. So we want to figure out a way to address that as well in ways that can help these farmers grow economically, but also do good things on the, with the environment. We were talking during the break a little bit about your experience directly with battery storage and solar. Tell right. me a little bit about that. Well, as you know, batteries and storage is one of the hottest sectors of the clean energy economy right now. As a matter of fact, it was the fastest growing area for clean energy jobs in America last year, adding almost 9,500 new jobs, 14% increase last year from the year before. When I installed solar on my house in, in greater San Diego a couple of years ago, I added a, a LG Chem battery with that. And it was in part thanks to some smart advice from my local solar company, and it was in part to address the time of use issues with San Diego Gas and Electric down here. I got my first annual settle-up bill a year ago, and it was for $500. And that was a $500 credit to me, Barry, because the battery was able to help offset the usage and the need for drawing electricity from my local utility. So yeah. I think a lot of people are starting to realize the importance of, you know, what has been the holy grail for the renewable industry is coming to fruition now. And it's coming to fruition in houses like mine and yours, but also at the utility sector and with big business users all over the place. Yes, it's just great to hear stories about people putting in solar and a battery, and then you get $500 back at the end of the year. That's just absolutely terrific. And yeah, LG Chem, in my view, makes you know probably the best, most reliable, best warranty battery out there. It works great with solar edge inverters. We're also starting to look at the SMA and the BYD inverter, and you know people are installing Tesla Powerwall. So at least in California and much of the rest of the U.S., we are looking at that combination of solar and battery storage, and obviously the utilities are doing that too at their substations. Yep. Now, what's on the agenda for the coming years? Are there incentives for battery storage? Or what are some of the other things you're looking at? Well, from a policy perspective, unfortunately right now, as we all know, there's not a lot of leadership on climate and clean energy at the federal level. We've refocused a lot of our work at the state level, and, and E2 now has, as I mentioned, chapters in every region of the country, and I have staff that are helping business leaders in each of those regions try to change policies for the better in those areas. And we're seeing some real progress in the states, Barry. A prime example is in Nevada, which this next door in Nevada, which this year passed a 50% renewable bill. This is a state that essentially killed off its solar industry a few years ago, but it's coming back. We work real hard to Colorado governor and, and legislature and other agencies to join the zero emission vehicle program along that includes California and about 10 other states. That's going to do a lot to roll out more electric vehicles and the infrastructure that that requires in the state of Colorado. Really good thing. Illinois, we E2 work real hard with our business members and others to pass something called the Future Energy Jobs Act, which is going to expand renewables and, and energy efficiency. And we did the same with some great policies in New York. North Carolina is considering a major climate policy that's going to ex expand energy efficiency and renewables. And we are bringing business voices in support of that wherever we can because it's good for the economy and good for the environment. 
Yep. Yeah. It's kind of a shame that the national leadership isn't there, but it sounds really uh, smart for E2 and doing this, the same kind of things that SIA has done, the Solar Energy Industry Association and others saying, hey, let's focus on the states because there is a lot of activity in states and pretty much activity in states, you know, almost all 50 states are moving more toward these renewable standards and, and cleaner right. energy. So that's, that's really, really terrific. One of the things that's kind of always frustrating to me is we know we have such a tremendously big climate problem. I mean, we'll be really lucky if, with a lot of hard work, that we're able to keep global warming down below one and a half degrees C. But there's lots of organizations working on these things. Do you have any suggestions on how we could kind of combine the efforts of all the environmental organizations, sustainability organizations, organizations like E2, and focus the efforts so that we can, you know, be screaming with one much louder voice instead of a very distributed hundreds and thousands of voices? Yeah, well, I think a lot of that is already happening unbeknownst to the folks on an everyday basis right now, Barry. You know, E2 works very closely with a lot of other business-focused environmental groups, if you will, on different policies. We work in coalition with partners on the ground in these states that I mentioned very closely. And E2, by the way, is a very small part of a major environmental group called the Natural Resources Defense Council, NRDC which works in coalition with other major environmental groups as well. The thing that we do that's different is we bring business voices and business people who care about the environment together and leverage their experience, leverage their authority on the intersection of jobs, economy, and the environment to bring a different voice and to bring another voice to the call for action on climate change. Yeah, it's almost bringing a voice that used to be called Republicans towards this. I'm a Republican, former Republican, actually, at this point, where, you know, I really want to do things that are good for the economy and the environment, not just kind of ignore the environmental part. But speaking about the environment, how did you get involved in the environmental movement? I mean, you've got this terrific journalism background. How did you get involved (laughs) with the environment? Well, because I think it's the most important thing before all of us right now is protecting this planet. There's basically three reasons that I do the job that I do, Barry. They are Delaney, Grace, and Carly. Those are my three daughters. We've got to leave a place for them and all of their friends and others in the future, and we ought to be doing whatever we can to leave a better place for them. Yeah, yeah. I think about the same thing with my kids and, you know, potentially future grandkids is, you know, are they going to be growing up where it's going to be, you know, really hot? They're going to have to move away from the coast. It's going to be terrible weather. Or are they going to grow up with the benefits that we had, which was a pretty darn clean environment around the world? Yes. And are they going to be able to capitalize, if you will, on the opportunities that clean energy and responding to the economic benefits of action on climate change have with them? You know, I don't want to send my daughters into a coal mine. (laughs) It would be great if they figured out how to make batteries even better. Yeah, that'd be good. I I had my three kids up on the roof when they were like between five, six, seven years old. And my wife was like, "Eh, it's not the safest place for them to work. But they're all, you know, very engaged. And that generation is really focused on this problem. And we've got to get kind of uh, old farts like me out of the way who were were trying, but really impeding things on a national level. Well, and, and we can only hope that our lawmakers in Washington and Sacramento and state houses across the country started listening more to them. Yeah, yeah. They're listening, and they're listening because business wants to do it, and that's because of the economics. So, you know, back back to E2 again. So speaking of that, how can people get in touch with E2? Well, I'd love for folks to check us out at E2.org, 
You can find out everything about us, and just as importantly, you can go to our report section and get some of this data that I've been talking about. We have a report on there called Clean Jobs America, which breaks down clean energy jobs all across the country. And then we have very specific state jobs data that breaks this details down, not just at the state level, but the city, the county, and very importantly, the legislative and congressional district level. And it's a very persuasive discussion when we can go into any lawmaker's office right now and say, hey, before you vote on that energy efficiency policy or that solar policy, I want to make sure you remember those 5,637 people that work in your district in clean energy. And by the way, we brought a couple of them with us to tell you what your decision is going to mean to their companies and their, their families. Yeah. That's what E2 is all about. We connect business voices with lawmakers to change policy for the better. That's terrific. Well, uh, unfortunately, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. I'd love to talk with Bob Moore about E2. Bob, thanks for joining us on today's show, and thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts.